My name is Josh Labadee, and you're listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. So the thing about politics is that it's kind of heady. It, 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 it gets to you, just like anything gets to you. People wonder, why, why do pastors fall? Well, it, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, right? Uh, you have power to do things. You have access to do things other people don't do. And so it looks different from the bleachers than it looks from the stage, right? And you guys are in a, pa- you guys are in a position where you're probably getting ready to move from the bleachers to the stage sometime in the next 10 years, and it looks different on the other side. And so when we're sitting in the bleachers, I don't know if anyone was, Aaron's apparently a football fan, I don't have any other football fans, when you're sitting in the bleachers, you think you can call plays, and why did he drop the ball, and these different things, but once you get out there and you try to play, you find out that it's harder uh, than you thought it was, that there's more uh, opposition than you thought there was, and that it affects you in ways that you didn't know that it would. And so really what I want to talk about is the two kingdoms and the two paths that you can take. Uh, And really, one is the kingdom of this world, and one is the kingdom of God. And I think that sometimes when we frame those things, uh, we don't quite frame them correctly. Uh, And I think that that's really when you think about Jesus was taken to a very high mountain, and he was shown all the kingdoms of the world, right? And so, hey, he knew in his prayer life, he was the king, he'd come to He'd come to rule the world like, hey, here's the, you know, I don't think it was, I don't think that, that temptation probably was as easy to say no to as you might think. I don't think Satan appeared and said, hey, I'm Satan. I want to do something really evil. Like, let's, you know, I think that it was a glorious experience, right? And he's looking over the king of the world and said, look, I, I am so burdened with what's wrong in the world. I just want to take over and fix it. That'd be the easy way. I don't have to go to the cross. I don't have to suffer. I can just go ahead and come down here and fix all these horrible things that have happened, right? But Jesus knew that his kingdom was fundamentally not of this world. You know, in in Luke it says that um, the kingdom of God is not something to be observed. No one's going to say, look, here it is, or there it is. And so it's difficult sometimes, and we're thinking about how to... It was a great question earlier, I don't remember who asked that, about thinking about how you vote... Um, you know, and Aaron kind of gave a very nuanced answer that it's not always easy to separate out what is God doing and what's the enemy doing, what's just happening because of people, right? And so it's important that we stay as close to the Lord as we can in the process, recognizing that we're going to face opposition, we're going to face temptations uh, that we're not aware of, we're not prepared for, but we can be prepared for them uh, as we walk with the Lord. So I want to look, first of all, at Joshua 5, and um, I'm not expecting that you have your Bible, uh, so I have mine. And uh, this is, you know, Joshua's getting ready to take the, take the promised land, right? And at, they're, going into face, they're going into Jericho, and Jericho is a walled city. It's got walls that are so big, the, the people there are like, we're not even worried about a million Israelites going around us. We're going to be perfectly safe within these walls. 
right? But he's going in there. He's going to battle. He's been training his whole life. He's been praying. He's been mentored by Moses. He's ready to go, and he's ready to fight the enemy, right? And so it says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. So you're in this situation. You're probably ready to fight. Joshua went up to him and said, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he said. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence and said, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. So it's interesting there, right? He's, Joshua thinks he's the commander of the Lord's army. He's God's man. He's got a million Israelites behind him. He's ready to go in, and he meets a big guy with a sword, and he's like, I'm going to fight you. And the guy's like, oh, no, actually, no. I'm the commander of the Lord's army, and the only proper response at this time is for you to bow down. And so that's directly applicable to our life in politics, isn't it? That when we get involved in any political battle, right, the Lord may put us somewhere in the front, somewhere in the back, but we're ready to fight. But the real fight is going on in a place we can't see. We're fighting... We're fighting for an invisible kingdom, and we're fighting against an invisible kingdom. And every once in a while, we get peeled back. We get to see a little bit of what's really going on, and Joshua got to see that for a moment. He got to see that there was a commander of the Lord's army. And so the question is not, is God on our side? The question is, are we on God's side? Right? And that's the... But it's easy to get those flipped, right? It's easy to... Uh, say, hey, I know what's right, I know what's wrong, I know the battles, I know where to fight, and I'm going to take up my sword and go take them down. But the most important thing, and remember it says here, he says, what do you want me to do? He says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. So the place the Lord is inviting you to is holy. The, the, the political sphere is holy. The, the place within that is holy. And most importantly, the place in your life is holy. Jesus says, uh, go into your inner room, close the door, and the God who sees in secret will reward you. The Lord sees in secret, and He will reward you, or not. He also sees in secret the other things that shouldn't be happening, right? There's, there's nothing that's hidden from the Lord. And so the place we want to cultivate in our own lives has to be holy if what it is, the fruit we want to bear, is going to be holy. It doesn't matter exactly what side of an issue we're on if who we are is not on the right side of the issue. And I think we've, we've gotten the chance to see some of that, right? If you live long enough, somebody that you believed in, somebody that stood for your values is going to fail, is going to show that, they may have pronounced those values, but they don't live those values, right? And so I want to invite you to that place of being in secret, in your inner room, with the door closed. The, the fascinating thing that I've discovered in my life is the more that I do that, the more that I see the supernatural power of God open in ways that I could never predict. You know, I was, I was on a plane... Uh, I travel a little bit, and I remember being on a plane. I'm sitting next to this guy, and you guys are supposed to go to Israel, which I'm sorry that I'm part of the substitute for Israel. I'm, you know, but uh, 
uh, I was on a plane, I'm sitting next to this guy, and there was, it was a few years ago, and there was a different conflict in the Middle East. I was like, what do you think about the conflict in the Middle East? He said he was Palestinian. And so I thought, you know, he's going to, un- he's like, well, you know, Israel has some good, I was like, okay, well, now this is different. He's like, not like taking up arms, and so he's kind of like mildly pro-Israel, and so I'm like, what is going on here? So I start talking to this guy, and it's very interesting talk, and he's got this organization, and then... I get to where I'm going and at the national prayer breakfast and I meet my friend there and he's like, uh, Will, I want you to meet. And there's the guy I was sitting next to on the plane. <laughs> and uh, it was just a God thing. God just set that meeting up and, um, and, and used that in some interesting ways. And I've had a lot of meetings like that in my life. Um, but there, it's, it's, it's amazing what they say is that uh, the more I pray, the more coincidences I seem to have. Right, um, but but real prayer is here. It's in Joshua's story. Real prayer is our submission to God and understanding that we're not a part of a political party. We're part of the kingdom of God, and we may show up. And that's I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Daniel. What's fascinating about so many so many of the leaders in the Old Testament? First of all, they provide us incredible models for what we want to do. Um, you know, Joseph. I mean, he, he, there's a lot in there about political wisdom. Uh, Nehemiah, uh, Daniel, right? These guys are standing in the courts of people that are vastly more evil than anybody you could name on the other side on, in, in what we're doing, right? And yet the Lord placed them at incredibly high places, right? Maybe for you it would be like, hey, you're the chief of staff of the Biden administration. Just just chew on that for a minute, right? If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you do not know where the Lord will place you. You do not know how the Lord will place you there. All you know is the one who will place you, right? And I just think that that's the most important thing. It's not really what we know. It's who we know. I heard a friend say once that, you know, and you know that, you know that they say that right in, in secular terms, right? That it's who you know. Well, I know somebody that's even cooler than whoever you know, Right? I know Jesus, and he knows everybody. And, and I've heard it said that uh, Jesus likes to introduce his friends to his friends. And so the more I travel, the more I get to meet Jesus' friends, uh, because I try to be his friend. So I, I want to help you maybe, first of all, have a, have a slightly different paradigm. Maybe you guys already have this paradigm. But let's, let's look at Daniel now. In the book of Daniel... In chapter 2, you may remember that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he has a dream, and he says, tell me what the dream is and the interpretation, or else I'm going to kill all the sorcerers, all the magicians, all the prophets. And, of course, the magicians and sorcerers are like, well, that's not really how it works. We kind of just make stuff up. And he's like, I know, that's why I want to kill you. And, <laughs> and so, uh, so, but Daniel's a true prophet. He's a true man of God, right? And so he's like, look, I know that I, don't, I can't know this, but God can know this. And so the vision is revealed. We'll talk about that process a little bit later. But, but the vision itself is revealed. And, and let me, I want to read that to you because there's wisdom in here that's relevant to us. It says, in the vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of stone, the head of the, head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. 
As you watched, a rock was cut out from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them into bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then a wind blew away without a, blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom, inferior to yours, will rise and take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one, as strong as iron. This kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that the kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay will have some strength of iron, while parts of it are strong, so the mixture will not hold together. So during the reign of those kings, I'm jumping down to verse 44, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. This is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. This dream is true and its meaning is certain. So... There's a little bit of detail there, but what Nebuchadnezzar is given in 576 B.C. or so is a vision of what's going to happen. It's his empire. It's the Persian Empire. It's the empire of Alexander the Great. It's the Roman Empire. And it says, in the days of the Roman Empire, a kingdom will be cut out that's not set up by human hands. A rock will come out. That is the kingdom of God. And it says here, it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. Now that's an optimistic statement. I hope you're not watching the news and thinking defeating kind of hopeless kind of thoughts because the word of God says that the kingdom of God will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness but will stand forever. Right? So first of all, know that God's side is the winning side. And if you're on it, you're on the winning side. And the key thing is to, is to be on it, which is more than a set of checklists. It's more than a voter guide. It's a who you are, right? And so, so this is the rock. This is the kingdom of God. And that's the kingdom that, remember Abraham, it says that he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. That's what he was looking for. There was something, he was looking at the world system and he said, the world system's broken. So God said, go out from the city that you're in. Go out from Ur, and I'm just going to send you out into the desert. We're going to go to a land, I'm going to show you. Right? But in his heart, he was looking for something that he could not see. He couldn't see it. And so, of course, when we look at the world system, guess what? Our side or their side, it looks like the world system. right? But you don't have to look like the world system. You don't have to smell like the world system. You don't have to act like the world system. God can place you anywhere he wants and the question is, when he places you there, will the word of God be in your mouth? Will the courage of the Lord be with you to do what's needed to be done? Right? And that was, that was what happened to, to Saul, is that he was, although he was head and shoulders above the rest, he was taller than all of his peers. He was more gifted. He was more talented. He was smart. He was the things 
that you're supposed to be to be king. Inside, he did not have the courage and the reliance on the Lord, and so his, so his kingdom crumbled, right? So who he was did not last. So that's the kingdom that, that Abraham was looking for, right? And so Daniel comes along and says, hey, this kingdom is coming. It's going to be set up. John the Baptist says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus says, the kingdom is here, but you're not going to be able to see it. That kind of stinks, right? It's an invisible kingdom, right? And so he's standing in front of Pilate, in front of Pontius Pilate, and says, are you a king? Right? Pilate's like, I'm a governor, and I know what it's like to be in front of a king. Are you a king? He's like, it is as you say. I am a king. And then, and then, and then he, says, um, he says, and if I didn't have, and if the authority was not given to you from above, you'd have no authority over me. Because he's representing a kingdom that has authority over all kingdoms, over all kings, right? But he looks like nothing. He looks like a guy in some robes that's been whipped a little bit, right? And the Lord might put you in a situation where you look like nothing, right? I had a friend, he was, he, he was in his prayer closet, and he's, he was like, Lord, and the Lord's like, you know, you know, God could put you in front of a president. He's like, ah, that, that's dumb, dumb idea, right? And his wife's in the symphony, and so he's, you know, at a party for the symphony, and he's kind of mingling around, and next thing you know, he's having a conversation with, Stephen Breyer, the Supreme Court Justice. And basically, he got to give his whole testimony to Stephen Breyer and kind of tell him about the Lord. And the Lord's like, I can put you anywhere I want, anytime I want, right? And, and that, was, that was the purpose in the party. But that happens in your private life. It doesn't matter how gifted you are, how talented you are, how smart you are, at the end of the day, your impact for the Lord depends on your relationship with the Lord. There's no skip. Your talent will take you and put you in an important place. But your character or lack of character might remove you from that same place. Right? And so what we need is the identity of Jesus working inside of us if we want to have true impact. And we need to be open to the fact that, again... If you look at the career of any of these guys, if you look at the career of Joseph, it's not really the career I'd want to have, right? You know, no one signs up and like, yeah, I want my brothers to try to kill me, sell me into slavery, right? And then I'll be in slavery, but then it'll get a little better. I'll get a great job, career will be taken off, like I'll be kind of in like, you know, kind of a high-ranking position around the capital, and then I'm going to do the right thing after I get into a bad situation with the, with the boss's wife, and they're going to throw me in an Egyptian dungeon, right? You're going to be in prison, falsely accused, right? That's his career. That's his career trajectory. It's kind of way down, like pretty up, and then way, way down, right? And then he's like, I'm going to get myself out of here with a dream and a vision, and I'm a supernatural man. Joseph was more gifted than all these guys. That's why they threw him in the pit in the first place. He was so gifted, right? You may be that gifted, but they threw him in a pit for it. And so then they threw him in a dungeon for that. And because the enemy was working against what it was that God had called Joseph to do, but all that working against was God working for. God was making Joseph somebody different. You can't change the world if you're like the world. And, and, and being like the world, the thing is, the only way to not be like the world is Jesus take up your cross daily. What, is the cro- what does that mean, take up your cross daily? Right? I mean, if you think about that, and, you know, that's like, that was a, execution device, right? 
take up your electric, take up your cross daily, ex die daily, right? Jesus showed that was the path to the eternal kingdom. The path to the eternal kingdom involved pain, it involved suffering, it involved sacrifice, and then he became someone who was different than the world around him, and so he changed the world around him, right? He was born in the time of Caesar Augustus, the greatest of all the Caesars, right? He was not a historical mention according to the, the, the contemporary historians. He became an historical mention later because the life he lived was so different. You know, it's interesting that um, in the later days of his life, Napoleon was exiled to St. Helena, the little tiny, tiny island ruled by the British. I think they didn't want to kill him. That would cause some other problems, so they exiled him there. And he had a lot of time to reflect on his life, on everything he'd done. And uh, there was a biographer there and took notes of all these things. And one of the things, he had these long thoughts about Christianity and God. And of course, we weren't there, so we don't know exactly what he said. But what, what he was recorded to have said is that nations pass away, thrones crumble, but the church remains. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne and I have founded empires. Now there's a statement. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. It's a different kingdom. The kingdom that Napoleon was trying to establish by force just, just evaporated, right? There's nothing left of the French empire. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. And it's, it's based on something fundamentally different, right? The culture of Rome, the culture of Babylon, you know, the culture, you know, and of course, America's had a lot of Christianity in its foundation, but it's interesting, we've got this giant Babylonian obelisk right in the middle of our, of our mall, you know what I mean? It tells us that there's maybe a couple things at work here, right? Maybe there's not only just uh, the work of the Lord going on, so, so we want to be a part of this other kingdom. And so what happened was, and you guys may remember historically, that the church was so successful that we actually overthrew Rome. There was a Christian emperor, Christian emperor Constantine. And over 100 years, they outlawed all kinds of horror. I mean, they had literally the transformational win of generations, right? Like the, the entire culture changed. Pedophilia was outlawed, right? The... The, the gladiatorial games and blood killing for sport was outlawed. The, the you know, what was valued, all these things changed, right? And so you're like, this is it. The kingdom is here, right? Eusebius said that as the, as the he was shocked because the Roman centurions who had been there persecuting him now were now defending the Council of Nicaea, right? So it's amazing, this, the, the biggest political victory of all time, you could say. And what, what happens then? What happens is that the, the barbarians, the Visigoths come and they sack Rome. And so St. Jerome, he's, 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 he's just distraught like many Christians. And he says, oh, the eternal city has, has fallen. It's like all the world has fallen in one city is what he says. So he's, he thinks it's over, man. We, we had the biggest victory of all time and now the biggest loss of all time. Augustine says, hey, look. You're part of a different city. This is the city of God is eternal. The city of God goes on forever. This is nations will fall, nations will rise and fall, 
but the city of God, the eternal kingdom, goes on forever. And, and, and that's what you're a part of. You've got to look beyond the immediate aperture. I was reminded of 1672. It was what the Dutch called the disaster year. They actually cannibalized and ate their prime minister. Um, and the republic, the f first republic and one of the first republics in modern history was, was removed. They put a king in, right? You're, you're thinking, this is disaster. Well, the next thing that happens was the king comes in, becomes king of England. They push back Louis XIV. It's a massive advance. So what looked like a massive defeat in the end was an advance. And so we don't know where we're going, but we do know that the kingdom of God will crush all these other kingdoms. So there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And you will not find them on the political ballot. You'll find them in your closet. And so that's the first question I want to ask you is that are you seeking an eternal kingdom? Are you seeking a kingdom that fades away? Your life is going to be a lot shorter than you think it is. Um, I'm middle-aged now. I, I wasn't middle-aged, seems like yesterday, you know. And, uh, you know, I got kids in college. It just goes very, very quick. You know, the Bible says life is but a vapor, right? And the things that we do in that time, though, can have eternal significance, for good or for bad, right? Um, and so this kingdom that does not fade away is the one we're looking for. And even as you follow the Lord, you can get caught up. Right? James and John, right? They're there. They're like, okay, these guys are coming against us. They're cursing you. Let's go get them. Right? And you guys remember what happens? Jesus says, you are not, they want to call down fire. That was their solution. Call down fire. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. They thought that they were of, I'm in Jesus' political party. I'm of this, I'm of his spirit. He's like, no, no, no. This call down fire, destroy the enemy spirit, that's not my spirit right? My spirit has the way of redemption, has the way of turning, uh, turning uh, enemies into friends, right? I was, had a friend, he was, he was with, um, uh, I, think her, I think her name was, uh, I'm, I'm confusing, the, it was the Australian prime minister about 15 years ago, a female prime minister, I can't remember her name. But uh, anyway, he's in the room, they have a massive crisis, Qantas Airlines, all these things, and he's in the room there, and um, the two parties are fighting. Meanwhile, Qantas, our national airline, is a national, national disaster. And so he says, he's, he's praying. So the Lord tells him, like, hey, call this guy from the back and have him pray for everybody. And he was like an old, you know, uh, PM and uh, member of Parliament, MP, rather. And they called him for it. He prayed. The, the atmosphere changed, and they were able to solve the crisis for the nation. Um, the crisis for the nation became bigger than what a single party could do. It became an issue of do we love our enemies, right? And that's, that's something that I think that Chuck Colson learned, right? I mean, he was literally, uh, they called him Nixit's hatchet man. And, and there was a time in my life, I thought, like, yeah, baby, <laughs> like, that is the job to have, like, slice them, dice them, and take them out, you know what I mean? Uh, and um, because we know we're fighting an inveterate and an enemy, you know, that it's multi-generational, they never quit because they're animated by another kingdom. They don't know it. And that's the thing that works for us. They don't know it. They don't know. Most of them don't know how lost they are. They don't know how evil the things are they're doing. I'm not saying some of them don't. But most of them don't. They're lost. They're confused, right? And so 
in, in as much as you represent the kingdom of God, you represent an invitation to something else. Right? You represent a, a different way, a better way, a higher way. Um, <clears throat> so we want to know what spirit we're from, not the spirit that calls down fire. Um, and that was, that was what Moses struggled with, right? So Moses had a supernatural life. His mom put him in a basket, like, put him in a basket, bye, you know? <laughs> and, and then, and then the, you know, the princess of Egypt finds him in the, finds him in the basket, pulls him out, right? And she sets up this thing where she gets the nurse that all this cool stuff happens. He's the prince of Egypt, right? He's got it. He's, he's set as far as, as far as political power be concerned. He has everything necessary to deliver Israel, right? And so then he gets frustrated, right? He's about 40 years old, gets frustrated, sees, sees an injustice, right? A serious injustice, slave being abused. So what does he do? Murders him, kills him. Now he's the prince of Egypt. This is Egypt. I mean, it's not American legal system. He'd probably do whatever he want, right? But what he found out was that he did not know what spirit he was of. He thought that by natural political power, he would, he would be able to change a supernatural situation. And that led him out into the desert where for 40 years he herded sheep. Now, God used his courage, right? He ran off some bad shepherds and some other things. And what it led to, though, was an encounter with God. It led to a moment where he's, he sees a burning bush. And what is that burning bush? The burning bush is any place or time where, where God or his presence invade your life. Right? Jesus didn't show up exactly how we were expecting him to show up. A lot of people looked right by him because they didn't, you know, according, I mean, look, the Pharisees were 100% the right political party, except they were in bed with the enemy. But I just mean, like, in terms of their, <laughs> in terms of their check boxes, they checked all the boxes, right? But they literally did not recognize Jesus. They, they made sure he was put to death, right? And so it's easy if we just think of, if we just think of ourselves in terms of, a set of checkboxes, we're going to miss the encounter with the Lord, right? So the Lord invites us to this encounter. He invites us sometimes to a door. I remember I was at a meeting one time, and I was invited, and we knew one of the speakers and the board member, and I was actually with Brad. He went to sleep early. He still does that. And uh, so he's like, he's like, Will, you got to turn the lights on. I'm like, man, it's like 9 o'clock. So I'm like, okay, I'm leaving the room. So I left the room. Brad's asleep in the bed there, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And... Uh, you know, I'm kind of wandering around, and I see this door open, and there's the paint's green. It's like, oh, it's probably a green room. And I just felt like the Lord's like, yeah, hey, just go on in there. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, nobody. <laughs> and, and so, like, I go back downstairs, and uh, there's uh, this, like, screaming baby, right? And so I'm like, well, I can't really rest here, so I'm going to go back upstairs. And I'm looking at this glass elevator, looking at the green room, and I'm kind of like, I felt like the Lord's like, Take a chance. So I'm like, okay, I'll just walk on over there, you know, and I just kind of get right around the corner. I'm just kind of really, real sheepish and just kind of poke my head like this. And right, right at that moment, the board member speaker that we knew says, oh, Will, come on in here, right? And it was just ended up being a divine moment for me, right? I met all these people that were way more important and interesting than I was. Lord opened up some other things. And um, that's how it works, right? You turn aside to look right? You turn aside to look, first of all, in, the, in that morning time, evening, whenever it is, you also turn aside to look 
in the moment of encounter, right? It's been said that the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity, right? There's also moments, I don't have good stories because I didn't, I didn't jump through the window. There's just a moment. Now, not all those moments are about me or my career. I remember I was sitting next to a lady on a bench and um, she's, she's got her, I'm like sitting there in, in, in the airport and she's got her thing stuck. And then it's like really stuck. And so then I'm like, okay, I, I need to help. So I'm like, do you need some help there? Like her, her like little clip to her bag is stuck in the bench somehow. And so I'm like, you know, I kind of help her with the thing. And she starts talking, right? And she starts telling me she's got all this broken stuff going on. And, and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe what might help you is, is the devotional Jesus calling. You ever thought about that? She's like, man, somebody tried to give that to me yesterday. And I was like, well, maybe Jesus is calling, right? <laughs> and and uh, so I got this opportunity to pray for her, you know, and just be that moment of intervention in her life because there was a burning bush. I turned aside to look, right? And so, so that encounter that Moses had led him then to be qualified to deliver the, the Israelites from Egypt, right? And he didn't do it with a sword, did he? He did it with his staff. He did it with supernatural ability that no man could possibly have, right? And that's what happened to, that's what happened to King Saul, right? So what happened to King Saul was that after being head and shoulders taller than all the rest, after being the, 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 the guy that was the... He, he went and won a huge battle. Like the Spirit of the Lord came on him he said, I'm going to tear everybody apart if you don't fight this battle. They all fought the battle. They all won. He thought, yeah, I'm great now. I'm the stuff. I have made it. He thought he was nothing. Then he thought he was something. And then another battle came, and they're all being, the Philistines are all gathering. 30,000 chariots. All these different things are gathering. And meanwhile, his army's afraid. They're hiding in rocks. They're hiding in caves. Samuel had told him, wait seven days, and then I will come as the priest, prophet, I'll come and offer the sacrifice. Saul's panicking. He's the king. His king's hiding in, our, in, you know, in caves. I mean, his army's hiding in caves. The other army's surrounding him. He's like, I better offer the sacrifice. Right now, again, he's not a priest. Old Testament law, he should never have done that. Right? It's not just a matter of waiting. He, as the king, had a function. It's different than the function of the priest. So he takes that. He makes the offering. And right at that moment, Samuel shows up and says, what are you doing? He was literally that close. He was that close. What he was doing, why did he do it? It said he did it because he was afraid of the people. He was afraid of the people. Now, I'm just telling you when I talk about what, how it's different on the field than it is in the stands, we got a lot of great ideas about what people ought to do. When you get on the field, you become afraid of the people, right? Because that's what keeps you in office or keeps you out of office, right? And the narrative, right, the, the narrative is not controlled by our side. So if you do something, whether you do right or whether you do wrong, you may be in a bad narrative. Your boss may be in a bad narrative. It may be just or it may be unjust, right? But, but what it was that Saul lacked was he lacked the understanding that the eternal kingdom that he represented, that the supernatural power of God was what he needed to win any victory. The Lord had actually led him into a situation where, his, where he was kind of like not going to make it on his own, right? We see that again a little bit later with David and Goliath, right? 
So it's really, you could say it's Saul, David, and Goliath, because Saul is sitting there. There's the army of the Philistines. Now Saul is head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Then they bring out Shaq, right? <laughs> you know, they, they bring out this giant, and that he said he had brothers. So like, hey, look, tell you what, little Jewish guys, why don't, you, why don't you guys send out somebody, and we'll just fight one-on-one, -on -one, whoever wins. So really, Saul, being head and shoulders taller, he was a big guy. He should have gone out there and just cut his head off, right? Didn't have the courage to do it. Well, now, of course, it's reasonable. It's completely reasonable that you wouldn't, you know, I'm kind of tall. I don't think I'd want to go up against Shaq, you know? Like, it's completely reasonable. But that was the thing. He was basing everything on what made sense, what he saw, not the invisible power of God, right? So David's this little teeny tiny guy, right? And he comes out there and he's, and he's like, look, the Lord defeated the lion. He defeated the bear. And I will he through me will defeat this giant. That's how the kingdom works. If you don't get backed up against the impossible, then you're probably not actually fighting a kingdom battle right? And so we have to have courage and faith that if the Lord has brought us into a situation that He's going to give us the power to, to bring us through the situation, right? And sometimes we see that manifest in the political realm where someone just has courage and moves forward and like this whole, all this noise, all this scare, they're trying to scare them, just, just evaporates, right? It evaporates because uh, God was really with them. And so, uh, and really, they were with God. So Saul, in the end, he, 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 he didn't have the courage to do the right thing. Now I want to just kind of land this by talking about the life of Daniel. So Daniel, I think, is the prototypical model for what it is that um, you guys are doing. And really, even if you have a marketplace career that's outside the realm of politics, there's literally so much wisdom in Daniel um, so if you haven't spent time there, I encourage you to spend time there. So what's interesting is in the situation with Daniel is that he and a bunch of other young guys are all put into a situation where they're taken into exile and they're being groomed to be high-level leaders, right? So they are, they are at Babylonian Forge Institute, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and so... So they, you know, they're being groomed to be high-level leaders. They're being given all the investment. And Daniel and his buddies say, look, we're not going to, we can't do all the things you want us to do. And specifically, it doesn't say this explicitly, but I think it was they couldn't eat food sacrificed to Babylonian gods. And so like, look, we'll eat vegetables. We just cannot eat the meat that you're sacrificing to your false gods. And so the, the, the chief eunuch's worried. He's like, well listen, um, I'm going to get killed if you guys are not taken care of. It was not a very merciful situation, right? And so he's like, look, you just get test us, and if it doesn't work out, we got your back. So they test him, and then turns out that they're healthier than the guys eating the meat. Now, that had to be supernatural, right? They're, 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 they're not getting enough nourishment in, in theory, but they're supernaturally better. And then it also says that when they were examined, they were 10 times smarter, now, of course, part of that is just discipline. It's training, right? It's the stewardship of your gifts, right? That you had, you had to work, you had to invest, you have to train. And so that's why you're here. And that's awesome. That's part of it. The stewardship of your gifts. The other part is 
the connection to the Lord, right? Because God, God gave Daniel the answer to a dream. He didn't even know what it was. Supernatural wisdom, supernatural insight that's beyond what he had. The Lord can do that in your life, and he wants to, right? Because, look, when, when, when you take the communion cup, he says, this is my body, this is my blood, right? So we take it, and we become one with him. It says, not I that live, but Christ that lives in me, right? It also says, greater things than these shall you do, right? So, so when you become one with him, when you take him, it says, not I that live, but he that lives in me. If he's living in you, that means all the things that he did are possible for you, right? Jesus, if you watch, if you read his life more carefully, it's fascinating. He leads a life of con continuous supernatural encounters. Continuous, right? And, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to heal the sick or cleanse lepers. I mean, maybe you will. But what I am saying is that... Uh, is that you can lead a supernatural life because Jesus is living inside of you, right? And so, but it begins with consecration. That's the first point. Daniel's life was consecrated. So he chose, look, I'm with a bunch of other people. I'm going to choose to do the right thing even when there's a little comp. I don't, think, I don't think that was a huge compromise, right? It wasn't like, hey, they're asking you to, you know, go kill somebody or sleep over. It was just, oh, they've just the wrong food. So he decided, no, I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to set my life this way, Right? Well, that got escalated, of course, because then later we, we found out what happened with the guys. Remember, the, they, Nebuchadnezzar built a huge head of gold. He says, listen, this is me. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. Bow down and worship me. And anybody that doesn't bow down and worship me. Now, now this is a setup, right? It was a setup because the whole thing was they, 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 the, the other people that were against them wanted them killed. So they pointed them out and said, hey, these three guys are not bowing down to the head of gold. If you begin to work with the Lord... And you keep, if you consecrate yourself, expect to be tested. Expect to be in a situation where, you know, people maybe you thought were your friends, maybe thought thought were on your side, sell you out and make sure that you get you get put on front street, right? So expect that. So consecrated. So then we have communion. That's the second point. So we saw in we saw we saw in the in the experience with with uh, Nebuchadnezzar that he supernaturally interpreted a dream. Now, why, how was he able to do that? Right? He was able to do that because he had communion with the Heavenly Father. Right? When you have communion with heaven, you have access to resources nobody has. Right? You have access to resources that are not on your balance sheet. Right? The kingdom of God is, is limitlessly large, even though you can't see it. So, communion, so consecration, communion... That's the secret place. That's the secret door. Courage. That's what Saul lacked. Right? So when they said, when they said, look, these three guys will not bow down and worship the head of gold, they said to him, I, I just want to read. I just love this little, little passage. Right? It says, O Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. Now, these were very good servants, very obedient. They did their job super well. Right? But they came to a point where it was a question of, do you serve God or do you, do you bow down and worship? It says, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. 
There's moments in your career where you will have to decide, will we worship the gold statue, right? There's just some lines you can't cross, right? And it's a little different in each generation, right? I think the thing that has become more, more common right now is the trans scenario, right? And that there's just lines there that as a Christian you just can't cross, right? And so the question is, will you bow down or do you have the courage to do the right thing? Even if it costs you, they're like, look, you may throw us into the furnace. We may be consumed and burned up, but we don't care because this is the right thing. And that is part of what you will face at some point if you walk with God. I promise you, if you walk closely with God, you, there, is no cro- there is no crown if there is no cross. There will be a cross in your life. There will be adversity, but that adversity has a purpose if you stay with him. And so the last piece was, so consecration, communion, courage, and then the last piece is incorruptibility. So Daniel's put out to pasture. It's late in his life, right? The new king comes in, he's partying, he's having the best time of his life. Meanwhile, they're surrounded by armies. And while he's partying, he's got the, he's got the, he's got the articles from the temple, brought in. So he's not only just partying, he's doing it in a sacrilegious way. And his mom's a little worried. The queen mother comes in and says, well, because what happens is a, a, a hand appears, starts writing things on the wall. He's terrified. He's, this is like, whatever, night of the living dead. This is some kind of you know, horrible scenario. He's terrified. His, his, uh, his, his mom comes in and says, don't worry. There's a guy here that can interpret this. He says, great. Whoever can interpret this, he's so, he's so afraid. I'll make him the second highest, or third highest ruler in the land. So he brings Daniel in, and Daniel says, yeah, I'll interpret that. It says, mene, mene, tekel, parsin. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and found wanting. He says, great, I'll make you the third highest ruler in the land. He says, no, I don't want your gifts. I don't want any of this. You don't respect the Lord, right? And so he walks out. He's incorruptible. The gifts, the opportunity, the, he, he could have been back. He'd been, he had been in high-level power. He was out to pasture. He could have been back. The temptation meant nothing to him. Guess what happened? The next day, that guy was removed. The, Darius, the, the new king, comes in and he says, I'm sure that the conversation was like this. Who is that guy that prophesied against the king? I want, like, he's clearly on our side. I want to put him in charge. So Daniel then becomes in charge of a different empire. He's ruling a different political party because he's God's man. And so that's what I want to pray over you. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you like the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all of our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.